Chapter 34 of Hagar's Daughter, A Story of Southern Caste Prejudice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hagar's Daughter, A Story of Southern Caste Prejudice by Pauline Hopkins. Chapter 34 at mrs bowen's impassioned cry chief henson turned an appealing look upon the judge who bowed his head as if understanding the mute question he reached the fainting woman's side with one stride and lifted her tenderly in his strong arms then he bore her from the crowded room followed by the maid and weeping stepdaughter the spectators fell back respectfully before the stern man over whose white face great tears that did not shame his manhood coursed unheeded when the excitement incident to chief henson's story or ellis ensign as we must now call him had somewhat subsided the trial was resumed governor lowe called no other witness but at once rose to address the jury for the prisoner and never perhaps had the great politician and leader been more eloquently brilliant than on that occasion he ranged up the whole mass of evidence with a bold and masterly grasp that could not be outrivalled in burning words he laid bare the details of the plot for millions explaining that when general benson found himself defeated in all directions and threatened with exposure by the woman he had ruined if he persisted in marrying miss bowen he had conceived the idea of a diabolical deed to murder miss bradford and allow the guilt to rest upon cuthbert sumner thus ridding himself of two obstacles at one stroke he painted vividly the stealthy return of general benson from new york to washington his arrival at the treasury building his concealment in the great wardrobes with which his department was supplied his long wait for the departure of mr sumner during which he heard the dead woman's confession to the secretary his meeting with miss bradford down to the last awful move in the tragedy witnessed by the old negress aunt henny who fainted with horror at the tragedy of the night he returned to new york as secretly as he left the city continued the governor because his flight had occurred on the sabbath when all the members of the committee were bent on individual pleasure and as he was in place on monday morning nobody noticed his absence then in his devotion to his employer's interest the faithful servant and ex-slave isaac johnson knowing no law save the will of his former owner faithful to the traditions of slavery still concealed the only witness of the crime failing only in one point that he did not murder the old woman his mother-in-law as commanded by general benson but kept her in confinement in attempting to force miss bowen to marry him by abducting her and concealing her in an old country house detectives searching for her found the missing witness whom we have heard here today the romance of the situation is enhanced by the fact that in just retribution the brother so inhumanly betrayed and abandoned even as was joseph of old by his brethren was the nemesis placed upon the criminal's track to put him in the power of outraged justice 
with a splendid peroration and a tender reference to the unexpected meeting of the cruelly separated husband and wife the governor sat down and the attorney-general followed him in a speech of great ability but he knew the verdict was a foregone one that his own remarks were but a form that the weight of evidence in this most extraordinary case left him but one course he felt too a savage bitterness towards benson or benson that made him pant for the trial which he knew must come in fact officers were already stationed near the precious trio ready to take them in charge the moment all preliminary proceedings were over the attorney-general concluded his speech with the words justice is all that we are seeking gentlemen of the jury and in your hands i leave the prisoner's interests knowing that you will return a verdict in accordance with the evidence given that will give us all the right to welcome mr sumner among us again fully reinstated in the confidence and esteem of the whole country the judge's charge followed with a finely balanced summing up which displayed all the power and glory of english jurisprudence even the prisoner followed him with admiring forgetfulness of self finally the case was given to the jury they consulted together a few minutes for the sake of appearances without leaving their seats then the foreman rose and announced we find the prisoner not guilty is this your verdict mr foreman asked the clerk it is he answered so say you all gentlemen of the jury we do in chorus from the box if there had been much doubt which way public opinion and sympathy had set during the trial there was absolutely none when the verdict not guilty was given for the long repressed excitement found vent in an outburst of applause that for a time defied official control like wildfire the news spread to the people outside and cheer after cheer rent the air the crowd swaying and pushing in a vain attempt to get a glimpse of the late prisoner but as soon as he could sumner left in a carriage with badger and west faithful john williams on the box for his apartments and later the bowen mansion sumner could never have told very precisely what passed after the verdict had been given save that as in a dizzy dream he heard applause within and cheers without then he saw the fetters on the wrists of general benson and saw him hurried from the room between two officers followed by major madison and aurelia the two villains had sat nonplussed and dumbfounded during the stirring events just chronicled making no effort to escape governor lowe rushed the business of their arrest and this was ably seconded by the judge and the attorney-general presently sumner found himself in a mass of humanity in a room with governor lowe and mr cameron receiving congratulations and invitations he thanked all in his pleasant way and declined he could not bear society just yet that verdict gave back life to jewel and to him but he was unhappy and anxious over her situation with her stepmother the wonderful revelation of mrs bowen's identity with the slave hagar was a shock to him it was a delicate situation but of course he told himself mrs bowen could see that with all sympathy for her and her sad story it was impossible for jewel to be longer associated with her in so close a relationship as that of mother and daughter he comforted himself with the thought that the unfortunate woman was the second wife of senator bowen and that was a fortunate fact 
he would do all that he could for mrs bowen but the social position of mrs sumner demanded a prompt separation cuthbert sumner was born with a noble nature his faults were those caused by environment and tradition chivalrous generous-hearted a manly man in the fullest meaning of the term yet born and bred in an atmosphere which approved of freedom and qualified equality for the negro he had never considered for one moment the remote contingency of actual social contact with this unfortunate people he had heard the negro question discussed in all its phases during his student life at fair harvard and had even contributed a paper to a local weekly in which he had warmly championed their cause but so he had championed the cause of the dumb and helpless creatures in the animal world about him he gave large sums to negro colleges and on the same principle gave liberally to the society for the prevention of cruelty to animals and endowed a refuge for homeless cats horses dogs cats and negroes were classed together in his mind as of the brute creation whose sufferings it was his duty to help alleviate and jewel she too felt that straining of the heart's cords as she waited in her private sitting-room for her lover husband she was alone ellis ensign was with her stepmother after mrs bowen returned to consciousness jewel had stolen away unnoticed by the strangely reunited pair leaving them in sacred seclusion she held the evening paper in her hand it contained a column headed quote, sensational ending of the famous bradford tragedy end quote. after detailing the day's events the editor gave the story of the white slave hagar mrs bowen and her extraordinary recognition of her former husband and master in the person of chief henson of the secret service division the editor went on to say Quote, no trace of woman or child was found after her leap over the bridge into the river she was supposed to have been drowned the woman however was picked up by a negro oyster digger and concealed in his hut for days at the breaking out of the war she drifted to california and in a few years married the wealthy miner zenas bowen this story showing as it does the ease with which beautiful half-breeds may enter our best society without detection is a source of anxiety to the white citizens of our country at this rate the effects of slavery can never be eradicated and our most distinguished families are not immune from contact with this mongrel race mrs bowen has our sympathy but we cannot even for such a leader as she has been unlock the gates of caste and bid her enter posterity forbids it we wait the action of mr ellis ensign chief henson with impatience praying that sentiment may not overcome the dictates of duty jewel's tender heart was full of pity and love for her stepmother now she knew for the first time whence came the fountain of love so freely lavished upon her by this heart-broken mother how she must have suffered murmured the girl to herself then as she mentally counted up the years that had passed since the events chronicled by the paper she said aloud and in some surprise why i must be about the age of the poor baby girl how wonderful she was glad to be alone after all these weeks of tempest and today's climax with its reaction 
mingled with her own joy at cuthbert's release was a silent wordless awe of chief henson's declaration in the courtroom and her stepmother's avowal but strange to say the girl felt none of the repugnance that the announcement of mrs bowen's origin had brought to sumner her own happiness was so great that all worldly selfishness was swept away hush she suddenly rose from the couch where she was sitting with wide eyes and quivering form hearing the soft musical voice outside so yearned for all these dreadful weeks now fast disappearing like a horrible nightmare before the rosy glow of hope's enchanting rays she saw the door open and shut saw cuthbert's tall form enter she sank upon the couch putting out her hands to him in a trustful childlike way without a word he flung himself beside her and folded her in his arms with a passion and strength that were resistless mine at last my darling my one love my wife for a second there was a blank life itself seemed to stand still and time and place were obliterated husband she said at length with smothered passion he stopped and kissed her in a strange awed way silently solemnly as a man might who had been so near the grave heart to heart soul to soul conscious only in that supreme moment paradise was touched so for some minutes they sat in soul communion sumner broke the silence after a time heaven only can reward chief henson and venus johnson for their rescue of you my treasure may heaven forget me if i ever forget their devotion to my dear wife i tell you jewel i was maddened when the news was brought to me of your abduction i would have been a murderer in truth could i have been free for one moment to meet benson the wife's lips touched his softly lovingly true woman to the core as a ministering angel but dearest god protected me there was another eloquent pause then sumner said abruptly tomorrow our marriage must be properly advertised it is thursday now on monday you must come with me to my father after you have seen him you shall plan our future jewel laid her head against him your wishes are mine cuthbert then they talked a while of the strange revelations made at the trial of the discovery of negro blood in aurelia madison and mrs bowen with the knowledge that we now possess of her origin we can no longer wonder at her wicked duplicity said sumner that is true in her case replied jewel but a truer sweeter more perfect woman than mamma does not live on the earth how do you account for it depend upon it those characteristics are but an accident of environment not the true nature of her parent stock i have always heard that the negro race excelled in low cunning true repeated jewel dreamily but then there are venus and aunt henny yes and my faithful john i suppose these exceptions prove the rule still i am thankful that mrs bowen is only your stepmother then they drifted back into their lover's talk once more look through mine eyes with thine true wife round my true heart thine arms entwine my other dearer life in life look through my very soul with thine it was midnight when the wedded lovers separated in the hall they met ellis ensign as we shall hereafter call him 
the man's face wore a look of solemn joy he shook jules hand silently he urged sumner to go to his room with him and spend the night for he had much to say to him in regard to the late trial sumner felt obliged to accept the invitation and the two men went away together the early morning hours found them still talking over the trial but their greatest interest was in the story of the elder man the strange trials in two lives how do you intend to fix it questioned sumner of course mrs bowen is very much shaken but we shall be quietly remarried on sunday and then i shall take my wife away when we return i hope to have possession of ensign hall where we shall take up our permanent abode i hand in my resignation to-day to take immediate effect i honor you for your resolution ensign but indeed i have not your strength of character i could never solve the social problem in that high-handed manner have you no fear of public opinion my dear boy i know just where you are i went all through the old arguments from your point of view twenty years ago i wavered and wavered but nature was stronger than prejudice i have suffered the torments of hell since i lost my wife and child he rose from his seat and strode once down the room then back again pausing before the young man sumner he said with impressive solemnity race prejudice is all right in theory but when a man tries to practice it against the laws which govern human life and action there's a weary journey ahead of him and he's not got to die to realize the torments of the damned this idea of race separation is carried to an extreme point and will in time kill itself amalgamation has taken place it will continue and no finite power can stop it but my dear ensign you do not countenance such a such a well terrible action as a wholesale union between whites and blacks think of it my dear man think of our refinement and intelligence linked with such black bestiality as we find in the slums of this or any other great city where negroes predominate ensign smiled at the other's vehemence certainly not sumner but on the other hand take the case of aurelia madison did you ever behold a more gorgeously beautiful woman or one more fastidiously refined had her moral development been equal to her other attainments and you had loved her how could you endure to have a narrow beastly prejudice alone separate you from the woman predestined for your life companion it is in such cases that the law of caste is most cruel in its results i think that the knowledge of her origin would kill all desire in me replied sumner the mere thought of the grinning toothless black hag that was her foreparent would forever rise between us i am willing to allow the negroes education to see them acquire business money and social status within a certain environment i am not averse even to their attaining political power farther than this i am not prepared to go and this is the sum total of what puritan new england philanthropy will allow every privilege but the vital one of deciding a question of the commonest personal liberty which is the fundamental principle of the holy family tie when one considers the ignorance poverty and recent degradation of this people i feel that my position is well taken persisted sumner ought we not as anglo-saxons keep the fountain-head of our racial stream as unpolluted as possible 
ensign smiled sadly a holy light for one instant illumined the scarred face of the veteran a boy's will is the wind's will and the thoughts of youth are long long thoughts he quoted softly you will learn one day that there is a higher law than that enacted by any earthly tribunal and i believe that you will then find your nature nobler than you know you make me feel uncanny ensign with your visionary ideas thank god i have my wife there i am safely anchored amen supplemented ensign softly as they clasped hands in a warm good night end of chapter thirty four